imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Program. I'm so excited to welcome all of you to today's program, where we will be talking about the top considerations when building psychological safety in the workplace with Ruth Ann Weeks, the founder and CEO of Harmony in the Workplace. You know, the highest performing teams all have one thing in common, psychological safety, the belief that you won't be punished when you make a mistake. Studies show that psychological safety allows for an open exchange of ideas, for creativity and risk-taking, just the types of behaviors that lead to market breakthroughs. It's about creating an environment where it's actually safe and maybe even encouraged to express diverse ideas, solutions, and innovative thoughts without the fear of reprisal. Psychological safety is actually key to high-performing leaders, teams, and organizational success. We become more open-minded, more resilient, more motivated, and even more persistent when we feel safe. Now, one of the main obstacles to psychological safety in the workplace is actually just a lack of awareness about how to create the right environment. So how can you increase psychological safety on your own team? Well, today we have the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Ruthann Weeks, the founder and CEO of Harmony in the Workplace, about creating healthy, respectful, and harmonious corporate cultures to attract and retain the next generation of talent in this global economy. Ruthann Weeks delivers programs and services exceeding industry best practices in creating healthy, respectful, and harmonious corporate cultures to attract and retain the next generation of talent. As a speaker, author, trainer, consultant, and connector, Ruthann specializes in workplace psychological safety and corporate social well being, mental health, violence and harassment prevention all related to bullying, sexual harassment, sexual violence, and domestic violence as it affects the workplace. Embracing corporate social innovation, Ruth Ann works with enlightened leaders all around the world to build harmonious workplace cultures where individuals are free to be authentic and vulnerable in taking interpersonal risk. Such an environment actually creates continuous improvement and efficiencies, innovation reigns, and high engagement, increased productivity, and profits all result. Through training and strategy, Ruthann helps business leaders create workplace environments where employees feel accepted, respected, and valued for their contributions. Ruthann, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today on Leadership Global. Well, thank you, Linda. It's, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's a real pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Ruthann, real quickly, just so that we have an understanding what brought you to this particular place, tell us a little bit about what sparked your, your passion around this idea of psychological safety. What really led you to this point? 
Well, like many entrepreneurs, my business started, uh, my career switch and and the starting of my business um, came from adversity. I found myself unexpectedly unemployed in 2015, having experienced covert bullying in a workplace. Uh, I had joined a team as a new director in middle management. And uh, it was a very authoritative, rigid sort of management style, uh, which did not uh, suit my personality or my values or the way that I, I, I like to show up at work. Um, and what happened um, without me even really knowing until after the fact was that there was covert bullying happening behind co closed doors from a peer director who didn't like me, uh, made lots of assumptions about me, uh, never took the time to get to know me and just really had it out for me. Um, so before I even knew really what was happening, although I knew it was a toxic culture and I was not fitting in, uh, I was let go from that job. And that had been sort of my shiny new opportunity to really show up and uh, take that sort of next career step. So I was really kind of lost. And it was both that time that creator tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, you always wanted to work for yourself and here's a good opportunity. So basically it really fit very well with my human resource management experience. So I got very busy with the business of learning about the issues that I specialize in. So workplace bullying, sexual harassment, psychological safety, as it, um, you know, is key to uh, progressive and successful organizations, uh, mental health in the workplace and diversity and inclusion are the areas that I specialize in. I'm very passionate about it. And that was in 2016 that I founded my business. And it's been uh, quite a journey. I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I'm very, very passionate about the work that I do. That's amazing, Ruthann, that really what led you to this particular place in your career is a lived experience. It comes from a personal experience that sparked both the purpose and the passion for the work that you currently do. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that um, really horrendous work experience, but look at the outcome, the fact that you've been able to now impact the lives of so many people in workplaces around the world with this incredible learning and teaching and coaching and expertise that you offer around psychological safety, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion and workplace bullying and all of the areas of impact that you offer. So let's start with the definition around what it really means to have psychological safety in a workplace. What does that entail? Thanks, Linda. So psychological safety, you know, we, we, we have we have levels of trust that we bring to the workplace. You know, we trust that we're going to get paid for the work that we do. We trust that people are going to show up and do the work that they're paid to do. We trust that our team members are going to, uh, you know, show up for work. Uh, psychological safety is a level above that trust. It's a level of trust in interpersonal risk-taking, in expressing thoughts, opinions, ideas, in making mistakes, without any fear of reprisal, being able to report those mistakes. There's no blame game. There's no shaming. Um, it's really about 
allowing people to bring them their whole selves to work, to fully participate, and to make those mistakes and fail forward and, uh, you know, freely express themselves. And that does take a level of interpersonal risk when you're not sure, uh, you know, how how that's going to be perceived by your team. So really, it's being very intentional about setting that standard and that precedent. And what happens is naturally, uh, efficiencies are continuously improved upon, uh, innovation reigns, creativity abounds, and, you know, relationships are built in genuine and authentic ways. And I mean, we've heard there's no dumb ideas, but who here has heard a dumb idea? You know, I've certainly heard a dumb idea. And I've been at the table where I've been brainstorming, or we've been working on a problem. And I've expressed something that I very quickly knew wasn't going to work for one reason or another. But I had the freedom to be able to do that and to have that conversation. And really, when you get it right, it is magic. I love that. That's so true, Than. But as a leader, I have to say, it's probably really difficult to create an environment of psychological safety, given the cultural differences, um, the beliefs and expectations that every single employee brings to a team. So as a leader, how can you create an environment of true psychological safety for your team, but also in the interaction of all the other teams in a corporate environment. So it's a process. I don't want to give the impression that it's easy or that it happens overnight. You're right. It absolutely is a process. And I believe that every single business owner really wants to bring out the best in their team and they want to support their employees to, to, um, you know, step into their greatness, right, And, and flourish in the workplace, but they don't always know how or know where to start. So we talk about uh, the 13 psychosocial factors of psychological safety. I I don't have time to go through all of them, but they're things like civility and respect. So civility and respect is just speaking to each other in a respectful manner. People need to know that everything that's in their head doesn't need to come out of their mouth, right? And that uh, we need to be mindful that words matter and that the way that we show up and, you know, so much of our communication is nonverbal as well. So we need to be mindful of things like dismissive actions or eye rolls or shrugs or even just looks and expressions. You know, we're we're very good. Humans are very good about picking up on those kinds of cues. And when someone feels shut down, either verbally or non-verbally, they're not going to feel uh, like they can contribute. There's definitely... Um, Inclusion. So we're talking about inclusion safety, right? So there's that inclusion. You can't have true inclusion if people aren't at the table. First of all, they need to be invited to the table and then they need to be invited to participate fully. Uh, One of my very favorite analogies around diversity and inclusion is diversity is being invited to the dance. Inclusion is actually being invited to dance. And when you're dancing with a new partner, you sometimes have to be prepared to get your toes stepped on and just be willing to uh, think about things differently. When we're building teams, effective teams, the last thing we want to do is fill our teams with people that are just like us. So we want to be very intentional about having different voices and demographics at the table. 
and we want to be intentional about allowing them that freedom. So there's things like clear leadership and expectations, setting people up for success, you know, being very clear about what not only what is that expected and prohibited conduct in the workplace, but uh, just being clear in your leadership. What is it you want from people? Allowing them some autonomy within that to, you know, construct their workday and their workflow the way they want to. You know, we're all adults. Nobody likes a micromanager, right? So just trusting them, having that level of trust in them as well to get the work done in a way that uh, works for them, especially now, right, where we're in so many people working from home and, and some parts of the world are still very disrupted. We're fortunate I'm in Alberta, Canada, and we are completely open. Everything is is sort of getting back to the new normal. Uh, there are people all over the board about um, how comfortable they are with that. We'll see how it goes. But I, you know, I was talking with someone last night in the UK, and they're still very much shut down. So, you know, globally, we're still we have to be mindful of that connecting with people uh, that are working from home and building those teams with intention. So things like recognition and reward is another of the psychosocial factors. Uh, recognizing people when they do contribute and for the work they contribute, everybody contributes, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're doing something new or profound, but everybody contributes. Uh, so recognizing them for that in a way that resonates with them, rewarding them in a way that resonates with them. You know, one employee might really love that bonus at the end of the year. Another one might rather have three extra paid days to use throughout the year someone else might want gift cards or travel vouchers but really uh, you know just give them some options I'm not saying that we have to cater to every every need or whim but from an HR perspective just give them some options let them choose they're going to feel more appreciated and they're going to feel more engaged and you know the, when people are engaged they bring their whole selves to work. They're able to contribute fully. They're able to um, receive support. They're able to communicate when, uh, you know, they might be struggling or they feel like they have that level of trust with their supervisors and their leaders. There's nothing like it. And uh, it's really important for uh, leaders to get this right. You know, Google did um, a study called Project Aristotle in 2012. And they set out, I mean, Google's a global business, obviously, they set out to find out why some of their teams were really high performing, while others were not doing so great. So they were looking at things like demographics, they were looking at leadership styles, they were looking at locations and resources and all of these things. And they couldn't figure out what what the secret sauce was and it took them two years they studied this and then they realized that it was psychological safety for the teams that had that level of freedom in expression without any fear of reprisal in making mistakes without the blame game or any judging um, creativity reigned and innovation reigned and those teams were just thriving and they actually liked each other it was amazing and what they found out was psychological safety was so important to the conversation that if it wasn't present none of the other team building factors even mattered wow that is impactful that is super powerful so Ruthann, as you began to describe psychological safety, you mentioned some behaviors that to me almost sounded like microaggressions. 
So can you talk a little bit about where microaggressions play a part in psychological safety and how as a leader, you can begin to start picking up on the signs and symptoms that perhaps your team or your organization may be dealing with a level of behavior that doesn't allow for psychological safety, that in fact, psychological safety is missing, absent, or in some ways muted in the team or the organization which you lead? Yeah, you know, there's, when we do a full evaluation, we look at the 13 psychosocial factors and we ask questions which within those 13. Uh, but it's things like looking at uh, turnover rates. Are there some teams where the turn people don't leave jobs, right? They leave bad management. So are there teams where there's higher turnover rates than others? Look at that and look at why. Make sure you're always doing your exit interviews. And, you know, people won't always be forthcoming and disclose during exit interviews unless they feel psychologically safe to do so. Uh, by that time, you know, they're already out the door, the damage is done. Uh, they may or may not, but uh, they might really, really appreciate that opportunity. And if you don't ask them, you're really missing out on finding out, you know, what's happening, what's occurring. Uh, you know, when people think that it's wages and benefits, wages and benefits is actually you know, not at the top of the list for what keeps people in a workplace. And we're in, heading into a skills shortage. So it's really important for organizations to get this right. So um, really make sure that you're supporting those that um, do need a little extra help. And, and, you know, in these times, who doesn't at times, right? Um, and really just being intentional about those check-in conversations, looking at those KPIs, like I, like I talked about turnover productivity that kind of thing and uh really just being intentional about that and really um just leading from a place of integrity and a place of um vulnerability quite frankly so if you're a leader and you start reflecting on the team dynamics, the overall team performance, and you recognize that there may be some red flags. You recognize that, yeah, there are certain team members that may feel as though they're not valued, they're not respected, they're not invited to participate as a full and equal team member. Um, and you as a leader start recognizing that psychological safety may be suffering a bit in your team or in your organization or the way that your team interacts with others within the organization, then what are some of the steps that you can take to recognize this and then rectify this? Right. Well, you mentioned microaggressions. Last question. And bullying is on a spectrum. You know, sometimes bullying can be that body language, the eye rolls, the heavy size, that kind of thing, uh, right up to, you know, in your face violence, right? So really setting that clear leadership expectation around expected, not only expected workplace conduct, but prohibited workplace conduct versus what are the regular duties of management, right? So really doing some training on that to get people on the same page, make sure that there are clear uh, expectations. Leaders have to lead 
from that as well. So leaders are not up here kind of looking down on the organization. They have to absolutely be in the trenches with everybody following the same rules in order for them to work. Um, I don't work with clients unless the leadership team has that transformational willingness and is willing to make the hard right decision if that's what's necessary. If there's a toxic influence on the team, you know, we want to set people up for success. We want to start with that training piece, get everyone on the same page. We want to have our policies and procedures um, comprehensive and up to date to deal with that. So people should know how to file a complaint if they are experiencing any workplace harassment and abuse. They should know what to expect uh, in a normal investigation if, uh, if there is something like that going on. Um, they should... Um, know what to do if their employer does not respond appropriately. In Canada, we have legislation in many parts of the world. There's legislation around workplace violence and harassment and, and protecting people at work. But in those toxic environments, the employers aren't making that known to their employees. So they, you know, they can educate themselves as well on what their workplace rights are and what their employer responsibilities are. Um, so once the employer does that and they have those plans in place, everybody's been trained, make that part of your um, employee contracts that they sign off on adhering to the policies and procedures and specifically name workplace violence and harassment. Have them sign off that they've received this training Training, they understand the training and they agree to uh, follow the rules, follow those expectations that the employer sets. Our job is not to make nasty people nice. Our job is to set expectations within our work environments that we expect and to hold people accountable to that. And sometimes, like I said, we want people to uh, conform. We want to set people up for success. Um, but sometimes that means if there's a toxic influence that, you know, has taken the training and signed the documents, but yet still is um, really just a troublemaker and is causing a lot of problems, sometimes you have to make that hard right decision to terminate that employment and put that in, um, make sure that's in your policy as well, um, what the disciplinary action is up to and including termination. That way you've got your paper trail, right? HR, document, document, document. <laughs> and uh, that gives you um, the paper trail that you need to show that you've tried. You know, the other thing to keep in mind that's coming more and more to my awareness all the time is we have to be mindful from, uh, from an HR perspective about neurodiversity and neurodivergence. The more I learn about it, I have learned that people on the autism spectrum, and it's a spectrum as well, right? Um, some people on the spectrum might not even know they're they're on the spectrum, but they don't always have an awareness of when they're raising their voice or they don't always have uh, a really firm grasp on some of those social cues and things. So I'm not saying that as an excuse uh, to excuse people's bad behavior. I'm just saying have that on your radar because we wanna make sure that we're not discriminating against those people that might have that type of mental disability as well or different ability, as I prefer to say, um, but 
to embrace them and set them up for success. Because what I'm hearing, they don't want to hurt people, but they don't always recognize that what they're doing is hurtful. So really, I mean, that's my best advice is to just set that expectation, hold people accountable, be willing to make those hard right decisions. And what happens, sometimes it's really hard, especially if that uh, toxic influence is a high performer. Sometimes it's very hard to make that decision to let them go from a fiscal you know, perspective. But inevitably, what ends up happening is the rest of the team is then free to rise up. And what happens is they generally end up exceeding previous benchmarks and expectations. Wow, that's uh, incredibly encouraging, really inspiring and wise counsel. Thank you so much, Ruthann. Now, question for you, though, in your own experience, you actually had a a really toxic workplace that you were managing your way through and experienced things like microaggression, workplace bullying, and ultimately did not feel as though you were employed by a workplace that adhered to psychological safety and you elected to leave. So when as an employee, should you make the decision to raise the red flag and say, we have a problem? And when should you make the decision that this is not something that I can sustain and my best choice is to leave? So how do you make that that choice of whether or not to stay within the organization and create the needed change or simply to leave the organization? You know, that's a loaded question, Linda. And it's really case by case. For me, in my experience, the legislation didn't yet exist because that was in 2015, uh, the fall of 2015. And the legislation in Canada didn't, uh, in in Alberta, in my province, um, didn't come in place until June of 2018. I didn't even know what psychological safety was, although it absolutely was not there. I suggested moving some files one time and got accused of wanting to destroy files. Uh, I found myself really like being afraid to say anything because things that I was saying were being misconstrued and then used against me. Um, So the best answer is people need to really put their safety first, right? Psychological health is me doing what I can do and you doing what you can do and every individual doing what they can do to take good care of themselves psychologically. So they get enough sleep, you know, they exercise, um, they eat nutritious food in an unhurried way, you know, they do what fills their cup, they have some hobbies or something that uh, resonates with them and feeds their soul, and they take care of their psychological health. Psychological safety, of course, is a level above that, right? That's an organizational responsibility, to make sure that people can uh, thrive, you know, in that organization. But what happens is no matter how good of care you take of your psychological health in an organization, in an environment that's not psychologically safe, whether it's, you know, a home or a society or, you know, a neighborhood or a workplace, it doesn't really matter. Um, you're not going to be able to maintain that. It erodes your sense of well-being. Um, so really people need to put themselves first. If they're in an environment where leadership just either doesn't see the problem, you know, I talk with clients all the time and, and, you know, they they have legitimate harassment complaints and they go to their management and the manager just says, I just want everybody to get along. 
basically they just wash their hands of it. It's not my problem. You guys are grownups, figure it out. Well, it's not always that easy, right? So if you have an environment where leadership is just not willing or um, apathetic, and you can't, you can't create change there. You're just going to beat your head against the wall. I mean, I can work with clients within the legal framework and teach them what their rights are, what their employer responsibilities are, you know, um, different. I mean, we're talking to a global audience, so it's going to be different everywhere. Uh, but we have things like workers' compensation, uh, where if you sustain an injury at the, on the job, whether it's a psychological injury or harm, uh, and you have a medical doctor that will put you off on stress leave related to a medical injury or medical harm that or sorry, psychological harm that you're experiencing at the workplace, um, you know, you can file a, a claim with Workman's Compensation Board. Um, we have um, employee, we have um, human rights legislation, right? So if you're being discriminated against on any of those protected grounds within human rights legislation where you live, you may want to look at that, filing a complaint there. Uh, if it's um a professional association sometimes or, you know, a certifying body, you can go uh, to, to that body and say, hey, listen, this is what's happening. Even HR, right? We have a certifying body. We have credentials that we, we need to um, we need to act appropriately within those ethics. And you can you can go there. Chances are you're already on your way out the door, right? If you're going to cause that kind of storm. Uh, but these are ways that you can still try maybe to create change on your way out. Uh, but really, I just, I, the, the people that I work with, I really just advise them to do whatever they feel their journey is. There's absolutely no shame in walking away and taking care of your own mental health and finding another position that suits you better. Um, you know, I also train people to be really selective when they're uh, job searching. Ask about things like psychological safety. If someone just says, huh, then, you know, you know, they don't even know what it is. Um, ask about things like supports for uh, mental health, mental health strategy, that kind of thing. Ask about some of those 13 psychosocial factors. Um, you know, how do you recognize employees and how do you recognize employees and how do you reward them? Um, you know, what, what are your expectations around uh, respectful workplace? And we have to be careful because sometimes an environment can be toxic, but not be abusive. That can be because of apathy. That can be because of uh, a thin veneer of niceness over uh, a, a culture of toxic competition or backstabbing or gossip or, you know, rumor mill behind closed doors, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, it's just really being intentional about uh, being selective. Like I said, we're in a skills shortage and the businesses and organizations that get this right will be the talent takers of the 21st century. Um, young, younger workers are less likely to put up with the toxic status quo that some of, some of the older workers have endured um, because they just realize that, you know, life is short and they're looking for that. You know, one of the 13 psychosocial factors is work-life balance, but it's not really work-life balance. It's just life balance because all those blur, all those lines are now blurred more than ever. So yeah, that's kind of where um, my best advice is. Wow. That was power packed. 
Ruthann, despite the fact you said, well, I really am not sure how to answer that because it's different in every situation. I got to tell you, you just offered so much insight, so much incredible expertise around the decision making that any leader or employee should think about in making a decision for themselves about whether or not they want to stay and try to work within the system to create change or whether they step away. So I'm very grateful in that. Now, one last question for you, and this is a question that we ask all of our incredible guests on Leadership Global, and that is all about the leadership advice that you would offer our audience. So through your career, you have done extraordinary things. You've hit incredible milestones. You've been able to achieve incredible heights of success. But along the way, I am sure that you have had mentors and advisors and coaches and teachers that have given you really impactful advice. So reflecting on all the wonderful advice you've received, what would you offer our audience? What would you say is the most impactful leadership advice you've received that you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, First and foremost, don't be afraid to spend money on your professional development. I know when I first started my business, I had the um, the mindset because I didn't have money to invest in, in my business. As a matter of fact, uh, when I lost my job, uh, we ended up, you know, digging into our uh, emergency fund and all of that. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of capital to start my business. So I was afraid to spend money. And I realized that I really needed to invest in myself. And so don't be afraid to do that, especially if you're a solopreneur, Um, get a coach. If you don't have a coach, get a coach. You know, we've got so much um, garbage in us from, you know, from the way we've grown up and, you know, Things people have said to us that we've internalized and dwelled on that can just keep us um, from really dreaming big. You know, dreams are cheap. Dream big. What would you love? What is your ideal vision? Because the only limitations there are are those that we put on ourselves. But as my coach says, you know, even a raised eyebrow from the wrong person uh, can crush a dream. So really just uh, be careful about who you share your dreams with. Keep your vision um, close to your heart and uh, share it with people that can come alongside you and partner in that vision and and to grow that. So that's more of a, a solopreneur type of leadership. When you're leading teams, I encourage leaders to be authentic. Nothing will endear you more to your team than being authentic and being vulnerable. And that takes incredible bravery. I get it. I do. And I'm not talking about oversharing, not talking about, you know, spilling everything that's going on. We don't want to lose credibility with our teams. You know, we still have to be the leader. They're looking to us. Uh, But don't be afraid if you're if you're having an off day and we all have them. We all have mental health. It's on a spectrum as well. Right. We're not all thriving all the time. when we're having an off day and we come to a team meeting, instead of giving the pat answer of I'm fine, which is that thin veneer, right? Um, say, you know, I'm just not myself today. You don't have to say any more than that. Just say, I'm just not myself today. I'm feeling a little off. 
And, um, you know, I might not contribute as much as usual, or you might notice that I'm a little quiet or whatever. And when you do that as the leader, that gives other people on your team permission to do the same when they're experiencing the same thing. And uh, there's nothing that will endear you to them more quickly. As a leader, share the organizational vision with employees. Get their buy-in. Let them know where they fit to see that vision and that strategy to fruition. And just really communication. Communication is key, right? Be relational with people. Don't call people out if if you notice that, um, you know, they're, if you're worried about them struggling or worried that they're having mental health struggles or something like that, you know, don't call them out abruptly. Don't call them out in front of people. Uh, but, you know, maybe just have a conversation with them and just, you know, stick to the facts. I've noticed that you seem a little withdrawn or I've noticed and, and just ask them, you know, is anything wrong? Is there any way I can support you? Don't try to fix them. Don't try to, you know, um, make them feel that there's something wrong with them or that they're not contributing or being part of the team. But just really that relational piece is so important. Yeah. What wise advice. Thank you so much, Ruth Ann Weeks. I will tell you, it is such a pleasure to have you on this show. You are just such a fount of expertise and experience and advice and guidance and wisdom. And I am, you know, every conversation I have with you, I feel like I learn. And I am so grateful for your willingness to be here on the Leadership Global podcast, sharing your incredible, deep, wise counsel with our entire audience. So thank you, Ruthann. My pleasure, Linda. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.